Welcome to episode 763 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode 763. I'm going to pull up my computer here, John. You see that? I mean, the, my desk is going up. because I got. Oh, my goodness. Up. Yeah, I know. It's pretty high-level stuff. Uh, if I am talking with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz, how are you going, mate? I am great. Bevan, how about you? Well, it's not true. You, before He was whinging <laughs> that's, that's, that's a porky. <laughs> <laughs> Start the show with a porky. He, 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 he said, I've been up since 4.30. It's now 7. Normally, we record the show at like 8.30 on a Tuesday morning. It's 7.30 Tuesday night. John's been up since 4.30. He's feeling sick. Do you want a hug, mate? A virtual hug. And I'm, I'm missing Tereo as well, Bevan. Oh, My mate. wife's not here to hug me either. Oh, you I feel your right. pain, mate. It's going to be a good show, though. I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Our awesome patrons. You go first, John. Chris Schrader. That's a good one. We've got Mark Hot Rod Dixon. And Julian, the Commandant Schwartz. Um... Obviously, we're going to talk in the news, the sad news of the loss of Dick Hoyt this week. And, and with John working and uh, us recording late, we actually just thought it would be quite a good time to put the interview. Yeah, we did with him years ago. I, actually, I just did the interview years ago. Um, so we thought it would just be a good, you know, obviously, when it comes to legends in our sport, this guy and Rick and Dick Hoyt uh, arguably probably inspired as many people as anybody else to think about doing Ironman as a sport. Uh, so we thought it would just be a nice way to kind of show a bit of a tribute to him. So we're going to insert the interview that we have with him. We've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. And pretty much that's going to be the show. So, John, just, just do you want to say anything about uh, Dick Hoyt? No, I, just, I totally agree. And that's why I thought when I saw the news this week, he was 80 years old. I just thought, you know, this was before the days of dick picking and Instagramming and social media. And that guy was just out there just doing it for no other reason other than to look after his uh, son and for his son to have a as fulfilling life as he could um so i just think i agree with you he just inspired so many people if he was a, a pom or anything i guarantee you he'd be uh, sir dick hoyt yeah. um so yeah i just think it was awesome which is why i thought it'd be a nice fitting tribute to to do the interview that we did all the way back in 2008 and the other thing there is I think a lot of the newer people to the sport may not know of him. I know all the old timers will, but a lot of new people may not have known Dick Hoyt. Well, I think just just a couple of things, and we will just we obviously going to put the interview on. But he was an athlete, like well, they mm. were athletes. But you know, like when you look at his run times, and he's pushing uh, Rick in the in the cart, he yeah. was he was no schmuck. It wasn't like he was just getting through the race. He was he yeah. was a beast of an athlete. Yeah, so you'll hear about that in the interview because I do recall, even though it was, what, 13 years ago, we yes. did ask about run speeds and things like that. And, uh, yeah, he was a good runner. Yeah, good times. Okay, let's get into the news. So the big news is that this weekend we finally have the postponed, but is happening now. The Ironman New Zealand race is happening this year weekend. And it's we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, but you know what? It's exciting, John. We've got a great field happening here. Tim DeBoom won at 1999. I didn't know that. Nice. Last year, Joe Skipper took it out in a course record time of 7 hours 54.17. Teresa Adam took out the females in 8 hours and 40.29 seconds. So 
absolutely smoking hot record-breaking day but the athletes went out there and did it what was so the story of joe skipper last year remember there was an emotional story was it his father had passed away or? i think it might have been his and i could be completely wrong here you're yeah. putting me on the spot but i think it might have been his puppy or his dog or something like that okay. may have died okay yeah, so there was something emotional way that when he crossed the finish line um, uh, yeah sensational day that he had last year two hours 43 on the run and ended up winning by seven, seven minutes over mike phillips uh, he did the damage on the bike he rode a 413 on the bike uh so joe skipper had an awesome race as did Teresa adam so oh, i'm yeah, really really looking yeah really looking forward to this uh, men's race sadly on the female side it's going to be a little bit interesting so on the female side we've got hannah wells who's a very very good 70.3 athlete doing her first ironman and if she races to her sort of 70.3 standard then she's going to go and absolutely smoke everybody there's only four females in the field but you know the unknown there is uh a if she's going to push it or she's just going to go for the win and if she does push it you know we all know anything can happen out there so uh she's definitely the odds on favorite to take it even though it is her first ever race so with this she probably wouldn't even have to push it because we're looking at the expected times for Rebecca Clark and Melanie Burke. They're kind of sub nine or over nine thirty is your expected time. Hannah Wells could probably sit comfortably with you know it's, she hasn't done nine men, so it's easier said than done. But you know you're expecting her to be around the nine hour mark, wouldn't you? Based on what's been happening in the last few years. Yeah, totally. Yep, I would totally agree with that. So let's. So I think that adds an interesting element to the race. But the guys, guys' race is going to be. Uh, who knows what the hell is going to happen because you've generally got three or four guys that could win the race. So you've got Braden Curry, Mike Phillips, and Kyle Smith, who's on debut, uh, that could win it. There's also Jack Moody, who's a sensational runner, and Cameron Brown is going to be nipping at their heels. Guarantee he puts in a really, really good run. I think he'll probably get a bit dominated on the swim and the bike, but uh, he'll be, like, I reckon he'll be in the top, uh, I reckon he'll get third, I think, maybe second. Uh, here's the, here's yeah. the question, Kyle Smith. What's your prediction? Because A, Braden has something to prove against him because he's been kicking Braden's butt all year. Well, not kicking his butt, but he's been winning every race. He's the unknown factor. Uh, and what we've seen in the 70.3s is he kind of leaves it all on the line. So, yeah. so you know, and with Ironman, it tends to be a common mistake for that young guys, particularly fast young guys, make as they move over to this world. What are your thoughts on what's going to happen with him? Uh, it's really hard to know, you know, when people are on debut. I think he'll swim well, he'll bike well. And it's just whether he bikes so hard that he runs out of juice on the run. So, you know, that's probably stating the obvious, but I kind of think he might fade a bit on the run and uh, and the others will catch him and maybe not have quite a bit as big a lead as he has in the 70.3 races or half Ironmans. So I'd probably, if I, if I, if I had money, I'd be putting more money on uh, Mike Phillips and Braden Curry than I would on Kyle Smith. At the same time, wouldn't be at all surprised if he absolutely smokes them all. And of those two, who would you put your money on? Probably Braden Curry. Don't really know how fit Mike Phillips is. I think he's fit, but he didn't do Challenge Wanaka and he didn't do amazingly well in the pre-Christmas races. So um, yeah, I'll be interested. To, I just think it's a it could go anyway, which is kind of what you want from racing. Yeah, totally. Do you have uh, any other thing about Ironman New Zealand before we move on? Uh, no, just great that they're able to get the race happening. Yeah, good luck to the Kiwis racing, all the listeners racing. Uh, the second piece of news is that Super League is having the Arena Games back in 2021. It's happening this weekend. Uh, we remember last year we watched it. Uh, it was a big thing. They did the bike on uh, Swift Bikes. They did the run on the Swift kind of running app. Uh, and then they swam in the pool, didn't they? They did. So it's going to be, uh, I think it'll be really good. It's a bit, so it's a bit like Ironman New Zealand. You haven't necessarily got anywhere near the calibre world-class field with, uh, with you know, a full stacked 
bunch of rock stars, but you've got several athletes that are of somewhat yeah. similar ability. So it should be quite interesting on the guy's side. You've got Johnny Brownlee, Alex G, Ben Dijkstra, um, George Goodwin, Sean Berg, Nishlag, Leo Bajir, um, Vasco Velaza. So it's a really good quality field. You've got a couple of iron distance athletes that I think are going to get completely smoked. You've got uh, Reese Charles Barclay in there and Tim Don. Now Tim Don's one of the best athletes in the world in his day. Um, but if you're an Ironman athlete taking on these short course athletes, I think it might be a bit of a shellacking. Uh, and then on the girls side, again, you've got top quality field. Um, you've got Georgia Taylor-Brown, Sophie Corwell, um, Beth Potter, and then um, uh, Helen Jenkins making a return. And then the big unknown here is going to be how Lucy Charles Barclay goes against these short course girls. I think she'll probably do reasonably well, certainly swim with them. And you'd think she'll probably be uh, have no problems biking with them. Uh, whether she's got enough leg speed, I don't know. So check it out. It's going to be great coverage. Um, so check out Super League. It's on Sunday morning, early New Zealand time, I think Saturday night uh, over in the UK. Should be awesome. What's the format again, John? Because I'm looking at the records they had from last year. So uh, the swim was 2.06. The, the, obviously, they had three laps, didn't they? So the bike was 5.11. This is a record. Gomez had like a 2.45 run. So I think it's like a K. What was the, what was the splits and what, how many laps so, did they do? 200-meter swim, 4K bike on Swift, and then a 1K run. Uh, mm. And then there's three different races, and they do them in different orders for, for each race. So I, I assume they might start with a swim bike run, and then uh, I'm not sure what they'll do for the second race. And then I remember last time, and whether they keep the same format, they finish with a bike. So I'm not sure if they went run, swim, <laughs> bike, or, or quite what they did. Uh, but yeah, and it all came down to the last race last time. So uh, it's going to be awesome. And they've also, announced, they've also announced a couple of other um, races that are going to be happening as part of Super League sort of arena games. It's going to be one in Tempe uh, in Arizona. And there's also going to be one back in Rotterdam this year. So they haven't really announced any on-road Super League races, but they've got a couple more of these arena ones, which is going to be good. So do you know if it's going to be on live on Facebook or anything like that? I believe it is. Yep. I think it's going to be live on Sky for us in New Zealand. Well, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be on Sky anyway. Uh, and it's also, I believe, going to be uh, streamed through the Super League, either their Facebook or the YouTube channel. Okay. Big piece of news that was announced this week was that Finland has been named, <coughs> excuse me, as the host country of the 2023 Ironman 70.3 World Championships. Now, John, when's, when's Topol getting to get in? Topol is getting it in 2022. Oh, so it's yeah. going to be next year, is it? So this year is in St. George. Next yeah. year is Topo. Okay. And then Finland. I'd love to go and do a race over there. It looks awesome. So mm. 2023, if you want to get across to Europe, hopefully we're out of this COVID mess by then. We'll all be traveling freely. Uh, go check it out. Well, John, one piece of news, which makes me start to think that maybe Kona won't go ahead. Challenge Family has announced that the championship is going to be postponed to August. So when when was it meant to be? It was meant to be May the 23rd. It's been postponed. It's going to be a weekend filled of spectacular races. Uh, the reason this is done is obviously because the COVID measures are still in place and travel restrictions for thousands of athletes around the world have to be dealt with. So the decision was made to make it August the 29th. Now, the championship is a half-distance race, or it's kind of slightly longer. Uh, it's around about that, but that's where you've got your, your, your three athletes from your different regions of the world. So three Americans, three, um, well, oh, so this is the first time we're doing this. Yeah. So I reckon they just, uh, if I was them, I'd just can it for this year. This year's just going to be such a schmozzle. Once racing starts happening, there's going to be races every weekend. Pros will be all over the place. Um, I kind of got the feeling. I reckon they would have been better just to can it and really focus on it for next year, which it's been rolling on for years and years, this, um, the championship race. So 
yeah, that would be if I was in their shoes, just go, you know, this year's going to be a mess. Let's just do it next year, make it a really big deal. Yeah, it's pretty unfortunate, really, because it, it was a pipe dream at first and, and started with a bang, kind of faded away. I brought it back and it's going to happen and then bloody COVID happens. <laughs> so yeah. it's definitely been frustrating, but it would be good to get it done. And to be honest, if they can get a decent field, I still would like to see it this year, but I get what you're saying. You've got to get, for that to be successful, you've got to get yep, everybody the there pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ironman Texas has been postponed and what you got, holy crap, did Ironman take a beating on social media for this one? Oh, they did. So, um, yeah, they posted on Facebook, and obviously I imagine all the athletes got notified as well. Uh, so a lot of you guys will know more than, than I do, but I saw that you know, in Texas, they're pretty much uh, opening up for business, no masks, no COVID or anything like that. But there was one area of the race that goes through one county that said, no, you can't have a race through here. So I mean, Texas has been cancelled. And yeah, I just feel for Iron Man because they took an absolute beating on social media. I mean, some people are... Oh, <laughs> that some people going COVID doesn't even exist come on it's just like the flu and I'm like mm. but anyway it's not and, and there's a lot of politics going on here but I, you've got to think that Iron Man would have done everything they could to try to make this happen and then people are just absolutely putting the boot into them because at the end of the day if they don't have a race they're not getting any income I know they've got all your entry fees but you know that's just getting rolled over for next year. So for, for people to think they didn't try to do everything they could, I think is a little bit short-sighted. But feeling for everybody in Texas, uh, or everybody who was signed up to do that race, you know, when you get the rug pulled out from under you, you know, it was supposed to be held in April. Uh, it's pretty close. You've been training hard. So just another unfortunate victim of COVID. Well, and let's be honest, in fairness to Ironman, let's say they get the race on next year. They've, they're not making profit next year because they've had two years where, you know, they've had to invest time and effort into at least trying to get it going ahead. Um, you know, you don't cancel a race without any, there being any costs on you, is it? You know, so it's a tough one. I get both sides of it, to be honest. John, your ITU update. What's happening in the triathlon, the ITU or triathlon world or world triathlon now? I've got to yeah, start calling it World Triathlon because yeah. I don't really think the ITU even exists anymore. So World Triathlon, we start their Olympic qualifying for May the 1st. Uh, so teams are going to get started to be named soon, which is going to be fascinating because nobody's been racing and a lot of the countries haven't necessarily selected all their athletes. And so you've got to pick mainly on past performances. There will be a couple of uh, races sort of coming up in, in May time, but you kind of want some certainty. So uh, it's all back on. Olympics are happening, Bevan. Olympics are happening. They're going to be 26th to the 31st of July for the triathletes and qualifying finishes only a month before that on the 21st of June. So it is going to be interesting. You know, I'm just yeah. thinking from a New Zealand perspective, we've got about four guys going for two spots and about four girls going for two spots as well. Uh, and there's going to be some unhappy people. Now, I don't know this answer to this, John. Is qualifying finishing this close a normal thing, or is it normally wrapped up quite a bit before this? It's normally pretty close, but I'm sure it's normally a bit earlier than that. Like, that's only a month before the race. Because when, when so. would you want to, as an athlete, if you're trying to peak for the Olympics, when, when would you want to be thinking about, you know, the training, the taper, and all the rest of it? Like, when, you're obviously a month before the race, would you want to be peaking for that? Well, no, you want to be selected. That's the thing. Like half the athletes aren't even selected yet, so you don't know if you're going. Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, the, a few athletes have been selected late last year uh, and said you're guaranteed you're definitely going based off race results or past performances. But that's the problem is 
now you're going to have some countries going, okay, this is going to be the qualifying race. It's going to be in uh, the end of May. And then you've got to peak again in July, uh, as opposed to those athletes that are purely looking at the Olympics and they don't have to worry about peaking to actually get selected. So we've seen uh, a lot of athletes in the past, probably more in the early years of through the Olympic triathletes uh, career is they, because they had to fight so hard to qualify, by the time they got to the games, they were, they were cooked and yeah. uh, didn't do very well. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. One you, other you... piece of world triathlon news is they've approved the eliminator format so they're taking a book out of the super league so it sounds like the um, world triathlon will have some form of elimination race which i think they've got to start innovating and so what that kind of means is you'll be doing maybe some sort of super league format or maybe it's you know a quarter distance sprint and you do it a couple of times over and every time you go through uh, a couple of athletes or a certain number of athletes will get to squat uh, you know taken out so Cool. Good to see. You know, you know what would be really cool is when they have the age group world championships as a as a last race to have that. You know, like you know, because it's one of those races you wouldn't want to train for world championships for if you kind of went out in the first round. But mm. if they had like an extra day or the last race where anyone could just enter the eliminator and you know, it's a bit of fun, but it's also just a cool way for the everyday people to experience that type of racing. Yeah, I guess if you did it by age group, it might work. Yeah, anyway, yeah, like you know, like it's get a, get a race directing, Bevan. See if it see if it works. Yeah, apparently, it's too hard. <laughs> it's too hard. Okay, this week's discussion. What was the most impactful advice someone gave you when you first started the sport? We got quite a bit of feedback on this one, John. I'll go first. Um, Michelle Van Den Venter. Uh, you don't have to be brilliant every session, just consistent. That's a good one. Tony Hodge, pro progress, not perfection. From the great Dr. Feelgood, Dave Dwan. Still have to remind myself of it most days. Good old Marcel Van Kempton's got to listen to I Am Talk. They know everything you need to know about triathlon. Great answer. Tom Ward, it's not week on week or even month on month consistency that really matters. It's year on year. This changed my entire future from that day on. From Caroline Livesley, elite triathlete, while waiting for her to do something. Arnold's got um, no prize money for the fastest bikes, but also don't be a dick on the bike. Yeah. Uh, who have I got here? John Weir says, don't swim sloppy. Good old Robert Burley's got, uh, if you're not going to win, have fun and enjoy the journey. Brian Lafer, ride more to be a better triathlon runner. I did my first half iron about six weeks after a PB half marathon of just under 128, feeling super run confident. I came off the bike, smoked, and walked a lot of the run. Good old Nikki Sweetman's got, and got quite a few laughs on this one. The wetsuit zip goes at the back, not the front. Yeah. Uh, and then the last ones I'll do uh, Lynette and Tani. Get a coach and trust them. Don't compare what you are doing against others good old hot chick cox she's got here read the manual i'm sure john would want anyone to do that yes i would what would, what would be some advice that you got uh well i've been to kind of a lifetime athlete so i guess i'm in a, in a slightly different um kettle of fish to some people but a couple of ones that i've got is melina um, often says try to treat every race like it's your last and i think that's uh more applicable to us age groupers you know for the pros that might not necessarily be the best advice um but for us age groupers you know especially when you're doing a big ironman it's been a big campaign 
who knows when the next one's going to come around, especially in the current climate. So try to treat every race like it's the last, uh, like it's your last. And then the other one was uh, the run is normally about who slows down the least rather than who is necessarily the fastest. So always having that in the back of your mind that you know it's about trying to keep a even pace through the run and not slow down as opposed to running the fastest one k split. I remember someone said to me, you know, it didn't actually apply it in my first race, but it's so true. A slow walk is a slow run is faster than a walk. Yeah. You know, because I remember when I did my first Ironman, when I blew up with about 20k to go, and, um, and there was a guy, another guy with me, and I probably would have been close to 10 hours if I didn't blow up. And I think I came in just under 11, but, or maybe 1040. But um, there's a guy with me, and we're, and we're, we're both just death. We're both, you know, both blowing up, but we're kind of working to, you know, just working really well together, and we're just motivating each other, and we're, we're running like snail pace running. And then with about, 5k to go I just couldn't hold on I had to walk the last 5k and I was literally stumbling the last 5k and I think he beat me by about 25 minutes <laughs> nice you know and he was not running fast and you know so a slow run is way faster than a walk and there's you know it's, it's often the case yeah <laughs> that's a good little tip okay this week's discussion is what is the biggest motivator for you when you're in a dark place when you are racing so when you're in a place and, and what we're thinking about here is a race where you actually want to do well so it's not just you know give up and just get to the finish line it's actually what pulls you through that moment so you can get the best performance possible so that's this week's discussion john uh we're going to put the interview up with dick hoyt uh this is back from 2008 so just some stats john's got here he was 80 years old. Um, he started racing with his son, Rick, um, who's in a wheelchair in 1977. Did six Ironman triathlons together, um, including two world championships. The first one and probably the most famous was in 1989. Uh, and then he also did 1999. So absolute legend. Um, so rest in peace. And obviously anybody that knows him, um, yeah, hopefully you can support the family at this difficult time. And what an absolute legend. Right, guys. So um, on the show today, we have probably one of the biggest legends in the sport of Ironman. You know, we have the Mark Allens and the Dave Scotts of the world, but one of the people, the, the two people who have really made our sport huge around the world are Rick and Dick Hoyt. And um, I'm sure most of you have actually seen the video of them and Ironman and some of the great stuff they've got on YouTube and maybe even seen Dick actually out there talking. And today I have Dick Hoyt on the show. Welcome hello, Dick. How are you going? Oh, thank you. I'm doing very well. Thank you. So, nice to talk to you. It's, um, it's, it's, you know, it's a treat to have you on the show, I tell you. Um, can you just tell me about, first of all, a bit of your history before you started getting into doing all the sports, where you came from uh, before you started running with uh, Rick? Well, I was, uh, I was one of ten, my family, you know, and um, let's see, we were very active, you know, in all different sports, all ten of us. We, always, we had a good, great time, you know. Uh, playing together, but we were kind of a poor family, and when we played ice hockey, we'd have to, you know, share skates, and then we'd chop a little branch off a tree and take a piece of wood and use it as a puck and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. But uh, I was very uh, active, and I, I, I always did things the tough way. You know, I, I always chopped wood so we have, you know, heat in the winter time and stuff like that, and I used to work very hard. I used to go out and... and uh, weed gardens for 50 cents an hour and pick strawberries and stuff like that for $5 a basket. And so I was always doing things that the rough way and the tough way. Um, and then when I got into school and, uh, when I got into the sixth grade, I found out what sports was all about. And, uh, 
And so I really got involved in sports. Even though I was very, very small, I was 90 pounds soaking wet. Wow. And when I was a freshman in school, and I was playing middle linebacker and fullback and all this and that, I just loved to uh, go out there and play rough sports and be able to hit people and stuff like that, <laughs> you know. So, um, and when I went to high school, that's all we had was uh, three sports. That's all we had was basketball, baseball, and football. And I was captain of the baseball team and captain of the football team. And I did play basketball, even though I was very short, you know. But uh, we had a lot of fun. There was only 50 kids in our graduating class, and we only wow. had 11 players on the football team, so nobody could get hurt, and you had to play both ways, you know. Great. But um, and when I was going through high school, I met my wife, Judy, um, and uh, she was the head cheerleader, and I was captain of the football team, and so we started dating at a very young age, and we ended up uh, the class couple, you know, when, uh, when we graduated as seniors, and then we got married, um, I was 19, she was 18, and uh, Rick was born when I was 20, and she was 19. And when wow, so you were quite young, weren't you? What's that? You were quite young. Quite young, yes, mm. when we got married. I mean, we we were dating for six years before we got married, so we started dating when we were about 13 years wow. old. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And so, so did you notice, right from the start, obviously, there were complications with Dick. Um, How did you handle that stage? Well, what happened, you know, we were very young, and um, when Rick was born, he was a very active baby, and he turned himself over, and a biblical cord got twisted around his neck, and he's in such a position that took a matter of minutes before the doctors could get at it and untangle it. Well, that caused a lack of oxygen to Rick's brain, which caused brain damage, which is cerebral palsy. Yep. And at the time, we knew there was something wrong with Rick, but we did not know exactly what. Okay. So the doctors made an appointment for us to see a specialist when he was nine months old. And we took Rick to the specialist, and they did all kinds of tests, and the tests come back, and they were very negative. They said, forget Rick, put him away, put him in an institution, he's going to be nothing but a vegetable wow. for the rest of his life. And, you know, we haven't figured out what kind of vegetable he is yet. <laughs> but, but, but anyway, on the way home from that uh, doctor's appointment, my my wife Judy at the time, you know, her and I cried, but then we talked and we said, no, we're going to bring Rick home and bring it up like any other child. And this is what we have done. Rick has been mainstreamed and included all of his life. Today, Rick is 46 years old. He still can't talk, uses his arms and his legs, but he's graduated from public high school. He's graduated from Boston University. He lives all by himself in his own apartment. And Rick and I, up to today, have done 987 athletic events. Wow. So what got you started in athletic events? Hey, what was that again? What got you started in athletic events? Well, you know, uh, I didn't start till I was 40 years old because when Rick was born, I had to get a couple of jobs because of all the expenses of mm. paying his medical bills. Yeah. So Rick, Rick was attending a South Middle School out in Westfield, Massachusetts, and his gym teacher got him involved with all the other children in, in the gym activities. And he was also a basketball coach at Westfield State College, and he used to take Rick to the basketball games. Well, one of the basketball games, they made an announcement that one of the cross players from the college was in an automobile accident. He was paralyzed from the waist down. So when Rick came home from that basketball game, he told me all about it. He said, Dad, I have to do something for him. I want to let him know that life goes on even though he's paralyzed. Wow. I want to run in the race. Wow. And, and that's how it all got started. So when you first started out, what kind of racing were you doing? Well, uh, you know, I was 40 years old, and I was not a runner. I used to run maybe three times a week, a mile each time, just to try to keep my weight down. Yeah. 
And, and that's all we had was a Mulholland wheelchair, which was prescription form fitted to Rick's body. And we had a hard time pushing him in it, never mind running in it. But it was a five-mile race, and we went down, and they gave us the number double zero. And the gun went off, and Rick and I took off with all the other runners. Well, everybody thought that Rick and I would go to the corner and turn around and come back. Well, we didn't. We finished the whole five miles coming in next to last, but not last. That's one thing in all the events that we've been in, we've never been last. Really? Yeah. So then, so then did that just get the fire burning and, you know, obviously started a big thing? We, what happened was, you know... Um, I, when we get through with that race, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like my disability disappears. Wow. Which was a very powerful message to me. If you think about it, somebody can't talk, use their arms and their legs, and now they're out there, it, and the disability disappears when they're running. He actually called himself Freebird because now he was free and able to get out there and run and compete with everybody else. Wow. But there was only one problem after that first race. I was disabled. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't know you had so many muscles in your body that could ache. You know, I couldn't walk for two weeks. Oh, really? So I told Rick, I told Rick, I said, if we're going to continue running, we're going to have to get a chair built, you know, so I wouldn't be hurting as badly. So we found an engineer, and he just got some old pipes and some old tubings, and he welded them together, and then we got an insert. For, for Rick to sit in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, there were no baby joggers and the regular wheelchair athletes were using the four wheelchairs. Well, our chair had two wheels in the back and one in the front. Uh, Just think if we had patented that chair. Yeah, mate, we made. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, we had a bike company working for us, and I said, look, you got to build these chairs because other people are going to want them. And, uh, and they just walked away. You know, five years later, they were out buying baby joggers and selling them. Uh, so I really feel the baby joggers got patented after our chair. <laughs> but anyway, you, you know, Rick and I weren't thinking about that. That's all we were thinking about was getting a chair built so we could compete together. So obviously the first, we, big, the first big event would have been maybe doing a marathon. Was that the first, you know, the first huge thing you did? Yeah. Um, you know, we... we this new chair we got built, we call a running chair, yep. and we went over to do what we call our first official race, which was over in Springfield, Massachusetts, and nobody had come near us, nobody had talked to us, and nobody wanted us in the race, you know? And finally, the overall race, the director said that we could run. Well, it was a 10K race, 6.2 miles, yep. and there were 300 runners, and Rick and I finished 150th out of the 300 runners. Oh. So then after that, we'd go to a different town and a different city and run, and finally people started coming up to us and talking to us, and they could see that Rick had a personality and such a humor, and he loved to be in the middle of running with everybody else. Yeah. Now, when we first started running, I used to get a lot of phone calls and letters from other families that had people with disabilities, and they were very upset with me. They said, what are you doing dragging your disabled son through all these races? Really? Are you just looking for glory for yourself? Wow. But they didn't realize he was the one that was dragging me through all the races. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that fall, Rick and I sat down and talked about what we wanted to do the following year. We decided we wanted to run the Boston Marathon. So we applied for the Boston Athletic Association. They turned us down. They said, no, you can't run with us. You're different than anybody else. But the Boston Marathon has a wheelchair division, so we applied through them. But they also turned us down saying, no, you're different than us. You can't run with us. But what they did say is, if you want, you can line up behind us and run. 
and that's what we did in 1981. Uh, and we ran our very first Boston Marathon in three hours and 18 minutes, wow. and that beat 85% of all the other runners. Wow. I was looking, I was doing a bit of research into you, and your best time's 2.40, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. Man, that's so impressive. So, yeah. And you, and you, how old were you when you did that? What's that? How old were you when you did your 240? I was in my 50s. I, I don't know the exact age. I think it was right around uh, 53 or 54 years old. I was, um, I was, I was our times got faster, you know. They, we started off slow, and then when we got into triathlons. Uh, our times even got slower. But I was out doing the Ironman in, in Hawaii, and I was talking to Dave Scott and Scott Tinley, and they said, yeah, usually when you start doing triathlons, you're running slows down, but then you get faster. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what happened. Did, um... I was talking to a guy this morning, I was telling him that I was going to be talking to you, and he's, he's quite a good runner, and he was saying, how do you train your technique with the fact that you're going to be running with your, your obviously, your running cart? Yeah, well, it, it's not as easy, you know, we, we've been very fortunate because of the races we've been in and the times we've been able to run, yeah. and so everybody thinks that it's, it's easy for us, but it really isn't, you know. Because, you know, Rick's 115 pounds, his chair weighs 28 pounds, and I'm 172 pounds. Yep. So that's quite a bit of weight when you're out there. And a lot of people think that I lean on the chair to rest, but you can't lean on the chair because it's so balanced. If you lean on it, the front wheel pops up in the air, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's like it, you're pushing it, forward with your elbows, are you? No, I'm, I'm usually pushing forward with my hands. Oh, Okay. When we first started, we used to just have a metal bar that went across, and I used to actually, I, my elbows always started bleeding and stuff because yeah. every once in a while they'd rub against the steel and the metal, and so they're very tender now. But now we do have a setup where it, it looks like the, uh, the, the the handlebars you have on a bike. Yeah, it's you know, like so aerobars, isn't it? It looks like the same time, yeah. but you can't you can't put any weight on them. You know, it's just that it's a lot more comfortable and it, it doesn't cut my elbows. So when you're, when you're training, do you always train with Rick, or do you just train by yourself, or how does that go? No, um, when we first started, I used to train with Rick all the time. Yeah. But what happened is Rick ended up going to Boston University, and he was an hour and a half one way. Oh, okay. You know, so I couldn't I couldn't go in and train with him. So what I did is I replaced him with a bag of cement. Okay. Because at the time, he, when he went to college, he was only 105 pounds, and a bag of cement weighed 94 pounds. Okay. But you should see the looks I got when I put a bag <laughs> of cement in a running chair and in the bike and run and bike around town. And you say, oh, there goes that loony guy again. <laughs> so, so you but always, it worked. <laughs> so you always train with the cart? With the, with the bag of cement. Uh, no, no, not, not now. No. You see, we've been ra we race like every weekend. Okay. So I really don't need to, to wait when I'm out there training a lot of times. Okay. It's only when, if I think I need it, then I train with the cart. So when I, do I do train with the bike all the time, yes, because it's a different type of bike. Yeah. Um, when it comes to um, training, when you, let's say you're training for an Ironman, how do you treat your training for an Ironman? Well, you know, I, 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 I have to go and work my upper body, too. So what I usually do is I usually go to the gym, and I use all the machines there. I don't lift the, lift the free weights, but I do everything for endurance. I use all the machines, and I do three sets of 20 reps. Yeah. So I do everything for endurance. So I'm usually in the club for about three hours. And then after that, 
I, I would go out and either run and swim or go out and bike. Now, when we're biking, I have to go out and bike for like 10 hours. Really? Because, because of the weight of the bike. See, when, when you get the weight of Rick and the weight of myself and the weight of the bike, you're talking 365 pounds, wow. which is a lot of weight. So, you know, we're lucky if we can get going 14 or 15 miles an hour. Wow. I mean, I have to pedal going down hills. <laughs> the bike is the, the bike is is the toughest part for us, so I have to spend more time on the bike. Wow! And what about um, swimming? How much do you do swimming wise? Well, I I try to swim when I go out for a ten hour bike ride. I usually don't swim or run that day, but yep. every other day I'm usually out there swimming. I see. What happened was when we we decided we were going to do triathlons, I did not know how to swim, and I hadn't been on a bike since I was six years old. Yeah. So I was I had I was changing jobs and it meant I had to buy a new house. So I said, Well, if we're gonna do triathlons, I'm gonna buy a house on a lake. Yeah. So I can learn how to swim and that's what I did. I bought a house in Harlem, Massachusetts on Hamilton Reservoir. And I'll never forget the first day I went down and jumped in the lake, guess what happened? I sank. <laughs> My body's like a piece of lead, you know? I couldn't swim fifteen feet. <laughs> So every day I'd go out there and I'd swim a little bit further, a little bit further, and then in the wintertime I'd join the YMCA so I could continue swimming. And then, then you know, then we had to get the rest of the equipment, you know, the bike and, and the running chair and all yeah. that. And so, uh, and actually we did not get all the equipment until the, the day we did our first triathlon, so we didn't know if it was going to work or not, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, I keep going. So I, I really do, I put in a lot of hours, and especially for the Ironmans, like I'm saying, and, and most of the training is on the bike and then the swim, and I do less on the run because the run is our best part, and we've been running longer than we have been doing triathlons. Do you, um, do you plan on doing more Ironmen? Right now, no. Uh, what's happening now, uh, Rick and I are tra- traveling all over the world, and we're doing speaking engagements, yeah. you know, and, and flying is not fun anymore. Okay. You know, the, the quality of the air in the airplanes is terrible. Yeah. I can still compete for 15 to 17 hours, but, but I'm on an airplane for three hours. I'm totally wiped out. Okay. You know what they do? They, they recirculate the air in the yeah, airplane, so if terrible. somebody's sick and everything else, it goes right into your, mm. your mouth, you know. And uh, it used to be better quality air when they used to let people smoke because they used to take the air from outside the airplane, you know. Uh, but that doesn't mean I want to see people start smoking again. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Can you describe to me what it's like for Rick on race day? Let's say Rick's doing an Ironman because, you know, for most of our athletes, we can probably identify, although, you know, towing a boat and riding with someone on on top of our bike seems pretty crazy. We can kind of maybe comprehend that. What's the experience like for Rick? Well, you know, a lot of people said, oh, you know, he's just out there sitting in a chair getting a ride. But it's not. It's very difficult for him. Yeah. You know, he's sitting uh, on the bike. He's sitting right up front there. Yeah. And, you know, he's catching all the wind and all that and all the bugs or anything that's in the air. Yeah. And, you know, he, and he, the sun is beating down on him, you know, when you're out there in those lava fields and stuff. So, you know, he has to keep himself hydrated and stuff. Yeah, because we're out there so long on on the bike and then the run, and you know he's sweating and everything else. Mm. So, so it's not as not as easy as people think. Well, he's just sitting there, you know. It's not, and you know he he gets excited just like all the other athletes. Yep. You know, he, his adrenaline gets flowing. He's excited, and you know it, he's out there doing this thing. You know, his body and everything else, and he gets his arms going and his legs going. And, and uh, it's so nice sometimes when we're out there and, and we're biking, you know, and we've been out there, say, for six hours on a bike, and then all of a sudden, it, 
just to cheer me up. I can hear him. He's got this sound. You know, he can't talk, yeah. but he has this sound. And to me, it's like he's telling me he's having a good time. Yeah. And he's re- relaxing and he's enjoying it and everything's okay. Wow. You know, and, you know he's, he's got the... He's got to take chances because, you know, there's possibilities that we can tip over, and we did crash in Hawaii. You know, we we were 85 miles into the bike one year, and and we ended up crashing, and we spent five hours in the hospital, and he ended up with eight stitches and, you know, a lot of skin off his body and everything else. Wow. What's what's the mental game like for you, Dick? You know, like, obviously, um, like, you must be so mentally strong how, how, how have you developed that over the years, and what are some tips maybe that you could give to some of our listeners when it comes to mental strength? Yeah, I, uh, like I told you, you know, when we first started talking when I was a kid, I always did things the hard way, and I, I, I worked hard, and I've always worked hard. I do everything the hard way, you know. In the wintertime, we get a foot of snow. I'll stay out there for three or four hours and shovel snow. You know, I get an ache a lot for a lawn, and I'm out there, and I'm pushing the lawn more. I don't have a ride on or none of that stuff. Yeah. And I was, I... It was in the military, you know, for 37 years, yep. and I really think that that helped me, yeah, because, uh, you know, it, it, I got into physical fitness. I was the uh, support officer for the base, and I was the uh, physical fitness officer on the side, and I was the weight control officer and the no-smoking officer, so really everybody hated me because they said, oh, here he comes. He's going to make us quit smoking and lose weight, you know, and go out and run. You know? But it was a lot of fun, and I helped a lot of people quit smoking and stuff. So I just think it's, you know, get, getting out there and you got to be prepared mentally and physically. You know, you can't have just one over the other. And when we wake up our minds, we're going to do something. We're going to complete it no matter what happens. People look at Rick and I and they, and they see how focused we get, you know, three days before an event like that. And they say, you know, I'm not paying attention to anybody else, what they're saying to me or anything else. And it's not to be rude or anything like that. It's just that I'm preparing myself and I know we're going to go out there and we're going to do it. And people say, you know, the look on your face, a freight train is going to go in front of you and you're either going to go under it, over it or some way, but you're going to accomplish your mission. When it comes to um, toughest events, what are the toughest things, maybe your toughest days you've actually experienced when you've been out there? Uh, there's, there's so many of them. Um, one of the toughest times we were over in uh, Japan competing in a triathlon over there. And, uh, it, you know, the Japanese, I think they do everything. It's the toughest part of the day when you're, the ocean is the roughest, you know, <laughs> when the sun's out and everything else. But uh, we, we were over in Japan, and uh, we were doing a triathlon, and it, the, the ocean was very, very rough, and it was raining so hard. And I was kind of concerned because by the time we finished the swim, Rick's boat had filled up with water. Oh, really? You know, so I was very concerned, you know, about him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and so when we finished the swim, uh, he was okay. Well, I have to check on him. What I try to do is call the lifeguards and have them, you know, take a look at him and check just to make sure that he's all right. And then we took him out of there, and I, I couldn't believe it. I still swear that when we started the bike, it was 90 degrees straight up a hill. Wow. <laughs> you know, and, it, and it, the rain came down so hard on the bike that it was unbelievable. <laughs> and one of the, the things, there was a problem. The night before, see, I didn't know you, you're not supposed to eat sushi the night before. Okay. And it, they were either. having a big party with the pro athletes and all that, and they had sushi there. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, if I shouldn't eat it, somebody would say something. But we, we, when we got through the swim, when we started out on the bike, I ended up with diarrhea. 
Oh, no. So what I had to do, I had to find some woods, you know. And, and so I had to put Rick up against the tree, and, you know, they were covering us. And they're following me with the camera. And they, 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 they thought I was quitting. I was running away, you know. I said, no, no, no. And this happened. This happened about five times on the bike. And then we... we we finished the bike, and I was completely dehydrated. Yeah. As you know, when you get the runs like that, and yeah. I felt terrible. You know, my face was blue and everything else. And, and you know, they were all concerned. They were asking, have you ever seen him like this and all that? But we were very fortunate. We went to the first water stop, and I drank two glasses of water and ate two bananas. And, boy, it just picked us up, and we had, we had a real good run. But I would say that that would have to be one of our toughest triathlons. Yeah. And what's what's the most enjoyable one you may have done? Well, you know, if it comes down to one race a year, Rick would like to do the Boston Marathon because, you know, we're from Boston. He graduated from Boston University, yeah. and we are the crowd favorites and all that. But yeah. to me, it's the Ironman Triathlon in Hawaii. Yeah. I just love it out there. I, I love the people out there. I love all the athletes. To me, the triathletes are the toughest and the best athletes in the world, and they don't get enough credit for it. You know, these guys are out there competing in what they do in the time that they do it in. And, you know, and they're not making that much money, even the pros. I mean, no. you take a baseball player, and sometimes they don't even get a ball hit to them. They get up at bat, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they're making $10, $20 million a year. Yeah. It's just that they're, they're in the stadium, and they make people pay, you know. And it's the same way with football. You see a guy run 40 yards, the next thing he's got to go sit and take oxygen. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and basketball, you know, these guys now, they can stand in and put the – you know, but the hands, they can just lay it through the hoop, you yeah. know? <laughs> it's unreal. And the money they get, and then they walk down on the court. So I just love triathletes, and I think triathlon is the best sport in the world. So you're saying that you do quite a bit of speaking nowadays. Um, what kind of message do you get? Because obviously you take it to a lot of the corporate world. What kind of message are you kind of putting out there with your speaking? Okay, our message is yes, you can. There okay. isn't anything you can't do as long as you make your mind up to it. Okay. And I don't know if you've gone to YouTube or anything else and seen the DVDs that are out on us. I've seen, I've seen, yeah, I have seen some of them, actually. I have to, yep. Yeah, the, the one is My Redeemer Live and the other one is, is Can, you know. Yes, you can. Yeah. And people are using these DVDs all over the world. They're using them in churches. They're using them in pro sports. They're using them in all these big corporations. They use them to inspire and motivate these people these people, you know, yeah. and when, when I get, you know, I don't know how many speaking games I've done, but like last year, I did 113 and turned down 200, wow. and I've, I've spoken to some of the largest corporations in the world, yep. and when I get through speaking to them, they come up to me, and they're saying, you know, Dick, we've had a lot of speakers, and thousands of them, and that is the most inspirational story we've ever heard in our lives, Wow. and it really motivates and inspires them. Okay, so Dick, you know you're in this position where, you know, you you're kind of recognised as one of the world's biggest uh, inspirations. You really are. Like, like I, I, I work at a gym, and this morning, uh, before my class, I was just saying how I'm going to be talking to the guy, and I, and like most of the people in the class knew of you, and this is in Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, what's it like for you? How do you take that responsibility first of all, and how do you take that with your ego? I suppose. Well, you know, uh, when Rick and I first started running, you know, we never thought we'd be running a marathon. 
Yeah. It, it was not in our minds. Rick had two other brothers, and they were good athletes. And I used to take time off from work and take Rick to support them. Yeah. You know, they, they, they played all the sports. They played baseball. They played football. They were swimmers and all that. Matter of fact, my middle son, he was captain of the swim team. Wow. And he, he could swim any stroke, and he was always either first or second, you know? Yeah. And then my youngest one, he was captain of the wrestling team, and he was undefeated in his senior year. And they do triathlons with us and everything else. But, you know, we were big supporters of them. And now Rick and I are out there, and, and we're doing all this stuff. And they're our support team. We, we do a lot as a family, you yeah. know, with the other two brothers. But we never thought that we'd be inspiring and motivate some, so many people. And it's worldwide. It's, the emails we get here are just unbelievable. Oh, I can imagine, know? yeah. And people, every race we go to, people come up to us and they say, Rick and Dick, we want to thank you. We saw you guys out there competing. And they said, wow, if they can do it, we can do it. And now we're in the best shapes of our lives, and it's because of you. Wow. We get more emails from people doing Ironman triathlons now that use our story. They use our DVD in training, and then when they're out there competing, they're thinking about us when they have hard times, and that pushes them to be able to finish it. So it's just amazing to us, you know, what is going on. And right now, you know, cause the first question everybody says, you know, Dick, you're 68 years old, you've done almost a thousand events, when are you going to quit, you know? Yeah. And I said, how can we quit now? Because yeah. now these people are motivating us because of what we're doing for them, you know? So you get a lot back to you. What's that? You get a lot back from the, you know, the inspiration. From, from, yeah. Exactly, yeah. 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 Well, so obviously your wife must be an, a phenomenal woman, um, you know, because to achieve the things that you and uh, Dick and Rick have achieved, have, obviously, you know, you need such an amazing support network around you. Tell me about your wife. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I don't have a wife. I'm, I'm the been, I've been divorced for over 12 years. Now. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just Rick and I out there competing and my other, other two sons, you know. Okay, so your boys are your support, are they? Yes, they are. Yeah, and uh, I got an office manager too, and actually she's my girlfriend, and, and she, she comes out and she supports us. Oh, okay, so that's Kathy, is it? Like that. Kathy, yeah. Uh, yeah she, so she must girl. be the amazing, a, phenomenal woman then. Yeah, she does a great job, you know, managing my office here and everything else, and she comes out and, and you know, sometimes it's just her, Rick, and I, and so she, you know, has to take care of the boat, get ready for the bike, and get ready for the running chair and stuff like that, so she does a great job. When it comes to organization for a race, you've obviously got so many more layers to think of. Uh, you must have that down packed nowadays, or is that still a mission? Well, it, it's, yeah, it's very difficult, and, it, it, you know, with all the equipment we have, it's very expensive to travel. Yeah. You know, because we don't have an airline as a sponsor or anything else. But, you know, most people, they go do the triathlon, they have their bike, and they have their briefs, you know. Yeah. <laughs> their bathing <laughs> suit, and that's it. Well, you know, when we go out to the triathlon, we have the boat. We have to blow up the boat. We've got to take a, a, the beanbag chair that Rick lays in. We have the bike, and then we have the chair that goes on top of the bike, so you can, and the, the bike is a lot longer than most bikes, so yep. it costs you extra for that. And then the, that chair, and then you have the running chair, and then you have the wheelchair rigs in all the time. So we have to put that all together. And when we get there in the morning for a triathlon, we have to put all that stuff together. You know, you got to blow up the boat. you got to take the seat that goes on the bike and put that onto the bike. Then you got to put the wheels and set up the running chair. And then you have to set it in different areas for when you tra transition. So it takes a lot more longer for us to get it set up to do a triathlon. 
must be a mission. Um, if you're going to give any piece of advice to a new, because we get a lot of new um, Ironman listeners, old triathletes at least listen to our show. If you were to give any advice to a new Ironman, what would that be? Well, I guess what I do is uh, tell them to go easy. Don't start off too quick. And I hope in the, the, these people, especially on the swim, it's a mass swim. And there's a lot of people that go out there and they don't realize it and they get in the middle and they get kicked and punched in the face and they start hypovating and hypovating. Hypo-va- yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and so I would, you know, have them take it easy and really get to the outside or something like that on their first swim fraud and not go out too hard because that, that everybody has a tendency, everybody takes off and everybody wants to take off and be fast, you know, fast with them. And just be be safe, you know, the fir- especially the first one. Just be safe and go out there because you, you don't have to go out there and set a record your first time, you know. Yeah. And and make sure that they, they keep themselves hydrated. That's very, very important, uh, especially when you're out in Hawaii with that intense heat and you're on nothing but the lava fields. Yeah. And then they have to make sure that they eat. And one of the biggest things is don't change what you've been doing all along. Yeah. You know, you never want to do that. Just do and use every all the equipment and do it the way you've always done it. Do not change anything on race day. Do, do you think you eat more than the average um, Ironman on race day because the fact that you're pushing Dick? I mean, Rick? Sorry. Uh, you know, Rick and I first started out, we used to do carbo-loading and all that because that was the thing to do. And, yeah. and right now I don't carbo-load at all. I eat my regular meals. Uh, I have a serious cholesterol problem, so I have to I have a special diet and watch what I eat. And uh, and yes, I, I feel that I do have to uh, eat a lot more and keep myself more hydrated yeah. uh, when we're out there competing because of the energy that I'm burning off with all the weight that I'm pulling, pushing, you know. Yeah. So, um, but I have, you know, I have my special meals and stuff like that, but it, it's nothing really special. I that's uh, not different than any other time during the year when I'm eating a meal. So, so you're saying you're around 900 and how many races is it? Nine what? 987. So, will the thousand be what next six months? Uh, we, it's going to be next year, and what we're trying to do next year is going to be our 27th Boston Marathon. Uh-huh. We're trying to plan it out so that will be our thousandth thousandth event, wow. and everybody wants to come and cover it because I don't know I don't know if any other athletes have done a thousand events, but we got people that want to co- come and cover it. And you know, we we figured it it would be nice to be able to do an Ironman triathlon for the thousandth event, but yeah. I really don't have time to train for it, and I wouldn't want to go out there on the thousandth event. You know, and and not be able to finish it. Yeah, you know? fair enough. And yeah. I don't mean to be negative about that, but but you know, it's, it's tough even doing a marathon. You know, <laughs> because you do things different different ways, and, and you train different ways and stuff like that. But see, back home here, the winter is very very tough. Yeah. And and Rick, you know, he his body doesn't move at all. And when we're out there in the winter time, there's been times where I've grabbed a hole of his foot, and his foot felt like it was a piece of ice. Oh, really? You know, yeah. So we we got to plan it so it's going to happen on that day. Do um, in two thousand and four, I was in Hawaii, and you didn't actually manage to finish the swimming time. Like in those kind of races, you're saying, you know, the Ironman, there's those risks that you won't actually finish. How do you handle that, like yourself? 
Well, it was very, very difficult. Um, you know, I knew I was swimming as hard as I could. Yeah. And there was a guy in a surfboard beside me. He said, Dick, your arms are going like crazy. And he says, you're not even moving. Oh, really? You know, and that was the year that they had the earthquakes out there. Yeah, yeah. You know, before, and, and actually, I was told that they were even thinking of, of changing the swim course because there was an area out there where they knew it was the ocean was very, very rough. Uh-huh. And I think if you check on it, a lot of people had a lot slower swims. Yeah, mine was terrible. You know, but, <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I didn't I didn't really even know. I had some idea because it seemed like we'd been out there for a long time that we didn't make the swim cutoff. Yeah, you know, it was it was it was very tough. But I just knew that I gave it the best that I couldn't have done any better than that. And yeah, as long as I go out there and do that and know I did my very best. And I just don't make the f- time fact. I mean, we know we can do an Ironman, but, you know, you have to do it by the times. Yeah. What, what, what time do you normally swim in an Ironman? Well, I think uh, we usually swim right around an hour and 40 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. 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 And, and bike? A bike is usually a tough one. We're usually out there for almost 10 hours on a bike, depending wow. upon the wind. Yeah. And then the run, you do what? The, the run, we've been, uh, I think our best one in the Ironman has been uh, like three and a half hours. Really? So it's usually around four hours. Wow. It must be nice, I suppose, because obviously coming off the bike so slowly, you'd be passing everybody on the run, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, that's what, that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of fun. <laughs> and that would break their heart, because I know you're an inspiration and all, but a guy pushing his kid in the control, that would break their heart, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, I just, I just, I actually, you, you were an inspiration to me, uh, Dick. I remember years ago, um, before, this is when I was like 13, and I was bunking school one day and I was at home watching ESPN, and it must have been around 1990 or 2000 because uh, they showed um, you in Hawaii, and I remember just thinking to myself, wow, this is. Uh, the most phenomenal thing I'd ever seen on TV. And I, at this stage, I didn't even know what Ironman was, but I remember you running up that finishing shoot and me getting goosebumps watching it, and I just thought to myself, wow, I'd love to one day do that. And obviously my lead has gone down, a, my life has led down a similar path. And just to let you know that for myself, and uh, for I'm sure for many of our listeners, that you're a huge inspiration and doing a great thing in the world. So uh, we really appreciate your time today and uh, coming on Ironman Talk. I know you're a very busy man. And uh, all the luck, best luck for your thousandth race, and uh, bring on the rest of the year. Well, thank you very much. I, th- I don't know if you're aware, but Rick and I are being inducted into the Ironman Triathlon Hall of Fame. Oh, really? October. Wow. No, uh, yeah. so, so tell us about that. Yeah, it's just it's it's just amazing. You know, here's my 46 year old vegetable. You know, <laughs> to be put in an institution, and now here he is being inducted into the Ironman Triathlon Hall of Fame wow. on the 30th anniversary of the Ironman out in Kona, Hawaii. Wow! So that's just uh, that's powerful, very powerful. That is very powerful. You're also going for the toughest athlete in the world thing. Right. Uh, Kathy sent me through an email saying that you've been nominated for the toughest athlete in the world. Um, do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, the, the, uh, we ended up coming in second place. Okay, who won it? It was a, a musher. I don't even know what his name is. Okay. He's a musher. You know, he does the dog racing and stuff like that, and I guess he's been frostbitten and stuff, and I guess he's got cancer, and he, he, they say I guess he's not supposed to live for another two or three years or something like that. Okay. I, I really didn't get in, in, involved in it because I didn't even know what was going on. But some of the athletes, you know, they started out with 32 of the toughest athletes. And, you know, like Muhammad Ali and 
Brett Favre and all these hockey players, all these professional athletes in here. Yeah. Little Rick and Dick Hoyt from Harlem, Massachusetts. I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 it's amazing, yeah. Wow, great work. Well, thanks for your time today. and uh, sure, Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Uh, John, yeah, I remember in the interview I asked him about his wife and it turns out he'd been divorced. And I remember I always got crap about that. So I'm yeah, sure that's still in the interview, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, well, how was I to know? You know? Exactly. How was I exactly. to know? But sad loss in our sport, but definitely a, an absolute legend. And and I'm sure I've told this story many times. When I did Hawaii, which I think was 2003, what year did you do it, John? To, uh, 205, I think. So I think I did it the year before, so it must have been 04. He was attempting to do it that year, and I don't think he got out of the swimming time. Um, but I remember I was I was kind of marking, going to get my number the day, the day of, or maybe I was just standing in queue for something the day before. And, I'm, and there's a guy I met on a plane from Australia. He's a really nice guy, and we we're having a bit of a chat. And you know what it's like when you go to Kona, you feel pretty cool about yourself, you know, and you yeah. you walk around, it's basically the world's fittest people. And I remember uh, this guy just goes to me, now that's a real Iron Man. And there was, it must have been the morning of the race, there was Dick yeah. and Rick Hoy, and they were pumping up the boat. And I just thought, yeah, that's pretty, pretty phenomenal. So yeah. uh, it would be well missed in the sport. And I'm sure his inspiration will continue on even after this fact. John, let's do, do you want to do Wanger of the Week? Wanger of the Week. Yep, I've got one. Today's oh, yeah, the 23rd, go. Bevan. So I'm going to pick number 23. And number 23 is Ben Washington, who's from Christchurch. It's 17 hours and five minutes of training. Didn't get to the pool. And the pools are open in New Zealand, so he did not make the pool. Did nine hours and 39 minutes of cycling and a big seven hours and 26 of minutes of running for a total of 17 hours and five minutes what i will say about ben is uh we probably should have had him as wanger of the week a few weeks ago maybe it was a couple of months ago now he did an epic challenge uh in memory of his mate craig petrie who we um sadly lost last year uh in a a car accident but ben was a good mate and they actually met on one of my training camps and uh became really really good friends and so ben's tribute he rode a, a mountain bike route in new zealand called the alps to ocean which yeah. goes from, for people who have been to New Zealand, um, goes from near Tekapo, which is sort of on the way down towards Wanaka, sort of Wanaka, Queenstown area, and it goes all the way to the coast. It's about 315 to 330 kilometers, and he was doing that in one day. It's off-road. It's, it's, you know, it's nice, wide, cruisy sh- shingle track stuff. goes up and down, but it's not like technical, but to ride 300 15 or 330 k's whatever it was in a day he was doing that as a fundraiser for um craig's uh, family and he did and he did it which was bloody impressive he was out there for a very long time tell you one thing guys and on that front being you rock but secondly if you're in uh if you're overseas when new zealand does open its borders new zealand is doing a great job of opening up cycling tracks so the ultimate aim is to have the link is it finished yet not the whole length of New Zealand, but there's no. tracks for Africa. But there's going to be, eventually, you're going to have to ride the whole length of New Zealand. Um, and the, the country just put so much investment in putting up some really awesome cycling resources. And the Elsa Ocean is, you now you can do it crazily like Ben, but you can kind of do it over four days. And, um, yeah. you know, it's a really great, great ride. So if you, for those who are overseas and thinking, I want to get to New Zealand after the lockdown, well, bring your bike because it's Amazing places to train. Okay, Ben, you are our winner, winner of the week. week. We'll leave the question and answers for next time, John. Because oh, I'll go do one of them. Go do one of them. Okay, <laughs> which one? Oh, the Australian one. Second one. Yeah. Okay, oh, Ironman was... Australia is handling out 2020 medals from last year's postponed race to be held in May. What's all that about? 
so so I got an email through from someone and I'm, I'm not going to name them because they may not want to be named. They said, oh, here's something for me, maybe for you to rant about. And I'm kind of on the fence on this. So Ironman Australia didn't happen last year, as did hardly any Ironman races. But they sent out an email to everybody, said, because it didn't happen, we've already got all the stuff from last year. We're trying to be a sustainable business. We don't want to waste it all. So we're handing out uh, Ironman 2020 finishes medals and, and memorabilia at this year's race in May. Wait, and so, so the people who have done the race were just randoms? No, so people have done the race. So instead of oh. getting a 2021 finishes medal, you'll get a 2020 medal. Now, interestingly, they're doing. I'm pretty sure they're doing the same thing in Tokyo. So the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games have already had everything, the medals made. When they're handing them out, it'll say Tokyo 2020. Uh, I just think this is an interesting one because I don't know how you feel about it, Bevan. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. Like, I, I kind of think, would it bother me? Tell you what, Bevan, the bell curve explains just about everything in life. Here we go. Here we go. So the bell curve, I'm sitting right on the right-hand side of the bell curve. I could not give a toss if I got a medal. I couldn't give a toss if it was 2020, whatever. If someone gives me a medal, I'm not going to punch them in the face and say, don't give it to me. But I really not too bothered about it whatsoever then you kind of got the next people along they'll they're sort of yeah i don't really want a medal uh but then you got all those people in the middle that are hovering on either side of average that are going to go yeah i'll probably take a medal if it's available that's great and then you got the people just on the other side saying i want a medal and i want it to be 2021 and then you go down the far, far end and then you get the real people that got extremely fired up about this and they want their 2021 medal and i get everybody's point of view if this was if you turned your life around and you'd gone down nine man and you'd trained your nuts off for it and you and it said 2020 i'd be pretty disappointed well and, and, and there's a lady i train I, I don't train many people one-on-one but there's a lady i train and and her motivation is the middle like literally she she will choose a race based on the middle and it's what she loves and and she's done like 100k runs she's done some crazy stuff it's not like she's a decent athlete but for her, she wants the medal, and so you I get it. Thousand dollars to bloody enter a yeah. race, you go, and, and let's on. be honest, medals are pretty easy to be cheap to produce. They are, yeah. You know, so easy solution here, Bevan. Give them both. Well, no, you give people the option if they want a twenty twenty one medal. Just when they get send an email out, do you want a twenty twenty one medal? Tick box. They'll have a little nut mark on their their number. Then they can just order however medals say they want. Because I totally get this from a sustainability point of view. You know, they're going to have. 4,000 medals sitting there, they're just going to go straight to the landfill, and you're not going to have 4,000 people that necessarily want a medal, so why don't you just say, who's going to want a medal when they finish, it says 2021, put your name down and you'll get one, everybody else, you can either have a 2020, or you don't even have to have one if you don't want, easy solution, I'm going to start doing that at, at my events going forward as well, so I have one or two races that have finishes medals, and I kind of just think, I know what you're saying, Bevan. Some people want that medal, and they I, I get emails saying, do you get a finishes medal? And yeah. I say, yes, okay. Um, so I get it, but I kind of think I'm going to make it a bit more optional going forward because so many people, the medal just goes in a box. You never see it again. They don't really care. And you might as well save the planet while you can. I think it depends on the level of the race. I think most people want an Ironman medal. Oh, Ironman, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. You're a bit of an outlier here, I think. Yeah, to- oh, yeah, yeah I totally agree. You know, I, I think most people... You know, like I've kept, like I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who really cares about memorabilia, but I've, and admittedly they're in the garage in a box somewhere, but I have kept all my Ironman medals. And it is something that when I'm in that garage looking at that box, it brings back fond memories. And so I'm glad I've got them. So, um, yeah, I definitely feel for an Ironman, I reckon probably 80%, 80 to 90% would want a medal. Yeah. But would they care if it's a 2020 or 2021? 
you know, since 2020, it's always going to remind you, ah, oh, that bloody 2020 COVID year. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> you can't win either way. I just think Ironman could have managed that one a bit better. Okay, John, let's wrap it up. Uh, this week's show is proudly brought to you by these patrons. John, the Falcon Fredrickson. Good old Mr. Sausage. Oh, you've got mountain sausage here. What mountain is? sausage. <laughs> <laughs> Morning Jenna. glory wakes up. <laughs> so, so he's not just Mr. Sausage, he's mountain sausage. Mountain <laughs> sausage. That was <laughs> And then Robin Nightwing Glory. Nice. Yep. You want to get the show, uh, you want to be a patron, just go to www.talk.me. Uh, when you go to the front page, just click on support the show, go through the process. It helps the boys put out the show each week. We really appreciate all the support from all the patrons. Thank you so much for everything you do for the show. Also, while you're there, you can get the show emailed to you down the bottom of the front page, just put your information in. If you want to become a patron, I've already done it. Coaching, coachonnewson.com. My podcast, I released one yesterday. Bevanjamesos.com and other cool content such as Age Group of the Week, call websites and other feedback. I am talkpodcast at gmail.com. John, I don't even think we need to do a gossip. I think the gossip is you need to go to bed. I do need to go to bed. Uh, I'm hoping that I'm going to have some sort of hasty recovery here because I am racing this weekend at the New Zealand or the North Island Championships uh, sprint distance. And uh, if, it's, yeah, if I feel like this... Much competition for you? Got absolutely no idea. So more going up to Thomas's racing. It's the New Zealand Secondary Schools uh, Tri Champs. So looking forward to seeing how he goes there. Plus all the rest of our fun hour down here. And then yeah, today we're busy organising our regional primary schools triathlon at a new venue. So it was a lot of work, but it was pretty cool because we had about seven or eight hundred kids who are sort of aged ten to thirteen uh, racing and glorious day not a breath of wind nice temperature new course all went pretty well so no complaints other than being just a little bit tired well done, what's happening for you well the band finished recording so that's pretty exciting so we're on sunday we finished our recording dave's just got a couple more songs to sing uh so it's kind of been so all it's a question for you bevan does okay. joe go out when you're banging those bloody drums in your garage i had to go into bevan's place to pick up oh that's what box. you did too and there's these drums being, and I'm thinking, this sound, they did sound good. And I'm like, this sounds like some bloody high school kids in there. The parents will be downstairs going, damn you, kids. Why did I buy you those drums? Does Joe go out? My, she did go out for a couple of hours, but she's very tolerant. She's she's an amazing wife. I, I can't complain. Because it's not just, to be honest, that's like three days of our life we've spent doing that. So it's not too bad. But she never complains about my piano practicing. And... You know, like sometimes when you're playing piano, you, you, you're playing really nice, but a lot of time your practice is not good to sound listen to. And it's the same thing over and over again. And I think probably once in the years we've lived together, maybe twice, she said, can you put your earphones on? So she's, yeah. I've, I'm married well, John. I can't complain. I know, I know complain. So <laughs> you should have come in and bashed the drums yourself, Newsom. We could have, could have got you hitting a couple. And then you we gave could have the instructions. Don't, don't come in if you hear any noise. Don't come in. The, um, I tell you what, you made my wife happy because that bike box, she hates that bike box and it's been in that garage for years. And she doesn't want it back. No, far out, no. Because it's Susan's from Susan's from the gym. And uh, and she always says to me, just take it to the gym, but I can never coordinate it. And it's been like that for years. And then she came in the garage after the band left and I said, babe, look. And she was very happy. So don't bring it back. <laughs> we don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha.